Good morning and welcome to our program, Old Gems and Young Voices. Hi, the kids choir would like to sing a bunch of old songs for you. We realize that it is very unusual for children of our age to be learning songs that were written hundreds of years ago. It's not too often that kids like us sing songs that were written in the dark ages and even our grandparents weren't around then. However, we've come up with a program that we think will be educational and spiritually encouraging. We think you're going to learn something and leave today knowing it was good for you to be here. Really? What? Nobody talks like that. Could you know it all like some kind of brain kid or something? Many hymns were written after difficult times. Or by people who suffered through the deaths of ones they loved. But our first song comes from a happier story. Will L. Thompson grew up in Ohio just a few hours away from the dirty steel mills of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But his hometown was most famous for its pottery. Will's parents had made a good living by selling pottery. Even though Will's family was fairly wealthy, he could spend his time doing what he loved, writing songs. He had two songs published by the time he was 16. As he got older, he didn't think publishers were offering him enough money for his hard work, so he opened his own publishing company in Chicago. He became pretty rich, but he was very generous with his money. Even though he was rich, even though he was wealthy, Will never wanted to leave his hometown. So he opened up a music business in Ohio where he bought lots of land and developed it. He gave to the local YMCA and his church. He even donated money to the people so that they could create a park that they named after him. Even though he was wealthy, Will wasn't embarrassed to tell other people about Jesus. He would often hitch up his horses and place a piano on his wagon going around in the towns and churches singing old hymns. Two of the more familiar songs we wrote are Softly and Tenderly, Jesus is Calling, and our first song, Jesus is All the World to Me.
Frances Jane Crosby, otherwise known as Fanny Crosby, wrote thousands of hymns in her lifetime. She used several pen names because publishers didn't want her to use so many songs by the same writer in one hymnal. When Fanny was six weeks old, her parents noticed something wrong with her eyes. The family doctor was away, and another man was brought in to look at the problem. He put hot poultices on the baby's eyes to draw out the infection, but instead it scarred her eyes and she was left blind. Yikes, that's horrible. Was she angry with the doctor or God like something bad happened to her? Even though she had no sight physically, Fanny could spiritually see things that she wrote about. She said that being blind was the best thing that could have happened to her. later, D.L. Moody was preaching in New York. Mr. Moody loved Fanny's hymns, but she would never let him give her any credit in public. She always wanted to attend his meetings like anyone else. On the day Fanny came, the church was crowded, and there was no place for her to sit. Moody's son, Will, offered to find Fanny a place, and then led her to a seat on the platform, just as the crowd was singing Blessed Assurance. Mr. Moody jumped to his feet, raised his hand to interrupt the singing, and said, Praise the Lord, here comes the authoress. The crowd burst into loud applause, and Fanny humbly thanked God for making the song possible.
Leaning on the Everlasting Arms was written by Anthony Showalter and Elisha Hoffman. Mr. Showalter loved gospel music. He published over 130 music books. Wait, 130? He must have been really busy. But he still had time to attend his students who came to his music schools. One evening in 1887, Mr. Showalter finished teaching a class in Alabama and returned to his boarding house. He had letters from former students, young men whose wives had died. Oh, wow. What did he do? He went straight to the Bible looking for a verse to comfort them. He chose Deuteronomy 33:27. The eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. As he thought about the verse, these words came to mind. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarm. But he couldn't come up with any verses. So he wrote to his friend, Elisha Hoffman, and asked for his help. Mr. Hoffman had also lost his wife when she was young. He was a Presbyterian minister. He wrote hymns for a hobby. Reverend Hoffman wrote three verses and sent them back. And Mr. Showalter put them all to music. And, and that's teamwork.
Some of the worst times in American history were our early years that ended in the Civil War. We paid a high price for not obeying Christ's command to love others as we would love ourselves. Slavery is never right. Some slaves were treated better than others. Some were educated and taught about Jesus. We know that because some of the most beautiful songs and simple truths became known as Negro spirituals. A spiritual was sung as a call and response song. A soloist would sing or the choir in unison on the verse, and everyone would respond by singing the chorus. The song, Lord, I Want to Be a Christian, could have came to us as early as 1756. In Virginia, a slave once said to a Presbyterian minister, Mr. William Davies, I come to you, sir, that you may tell me some good things concerning Jesus Christ and my duty to God, for I am resolved not to live any more as I have done. Lord, I want to be a Christian. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart, in my heart. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my says, those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. 
Louisa M. R. Steed knew this promise firsthand. She was born in England and became a Christian at the age of nine. When she was a teenager, Louisa felt a burden to become a missionary. She immigrated to the United States when she was 21 and soon made plans to go to China. But Louisa had poor health and couldn't stay there, so she came back to the U.S. where she met a young man and she married him. Early in their marriage, her husband drowned by trying to save a young boy. Louisa was left a young widow with a little girl named Lily. Still believing God wanted her to be a missionary, Louisa went alone to South Africa. She wasn't alone. God was with her. Okay, she went with Lily and God. While she was there, she wrote, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." Then they stayed in South Africa for 15 more years. After Louisa died, her daughter Lily married her daughter Lily married a missionary and they returned to Zimbabwe where Lily had grown up and continued her mother's work for many years. Many young men became senior pastors when they're 29, but it's even more rare to pastor a large church. Dudley Tyne became a pastor of a large church where his father was pastor before him. At first, everything went well. 
but definitely began preaching against slavery, and some people didn't think he should preach about that in their church, so Dudley resigned. He started a new church and became very popular. He would have Bible classes in the local YMCA, and Dudley felt a burden for husbands and fathers. He helped organize a rally, and 5,000 men showed up. Dudley couldn't believe his eyes. He said, I would rather this right arm be amputated at the trunk than I should come short to you in delivering this message. That day, over 1,000 men came to salvation in Christ. Two weeks later, Dudley was visiting someone in the country and watching a corn thrasher. His arm moved too close to the machine and a sleeve got caught. His arm was ripped from its socket at the main artery severed. Four days later, Dudley's right arm was amputated close to his shoulder. His injury was so bad that doctors at that time couldn't save his life. Some of his last words to his father was, Stand up for Jesus, Father, and tell my brethren of the ministry to stand up for Jesus. Reverend George Delfield was at Dudley's funeral. The next Sunday, he preached about standing firm for Christ. He read a poem that he had written, and Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus became one of America's favorite hymns.
Princess Abigail was one of Fanny Crosby's best friends, just like Phoebe Knapp. Unlike Phoebe, Frances and Fanny never met. They were pen pals. That's what old people did before cell phones were invented. Frances lived in England. Fanny lived in New York. When she was 40 years old and on vacation in Wells, Frances caught a bad cold and it settled in her lungs. When she was told she might die, Frances said, if I am going, it is too good to be true. Man, people got a lot back then. She didn't die, but then she did write Like a River Glorious while she was getting better. Three years later, she was out in the cold, wet weather. Again? Talking with some boys about the Lord, and she got sick again. This time, it looked like Francis would die. Her brother sang a few hymns for her. Then Frances looked up as if she saw the Lord. Her sister said they watched her for 10 minutes as she had almost visible meeting with her king. Her face looked so glad as if she was actually talking to him. She tried to sing, but her voice fell as she left her earthly home to go to heaven.
Eliza Edmonds Hewitt was born in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, to a father and mother who both loved the Lord. Even though she was a teenager during the Civil War, she still graduated valedictorian of her class. Wait, valid who? Valedictorian. That's a smart kid. Numero uno. Eliza had a special love for children and wanted to become a teacher. When she was 36, she was a teacher at the Northern Home for Friendless Children. Have you noticed how many of these writers help helpless children in this world? Not only did they write about God's love, they showed it too. In good times and bad times. Okay, back to Eliza. Eliza. A student who was out of control broke his slate over Eliza's back, and she had to be put in cast for six months. That was a hard time. Her injuries were so bad she could never go back to teaching again. What? Wasn't she doing what God wanted her to do? She was teaching kids who had problems. You know what Pastor Andy says, when you can't trace God's hand, you can trust his heart. Hmm. Eliza spent hours studying the Bible and writing hymns. Once when she was reading John 14, she read Christ's love to his disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Those words gave her idea for our last song.
Please be seated. And uh, thank you, boys and girls. It was uh, instructive, it was inspiring, and we really appreciate your ministry. Would you bow your head just a moment with me in prayer? You know, I, I, I would be amiss, especially following that last song, not simply to, to ask this question of everyone present. If you were to die today, do you have the assurance that you would have a home in heaven? Today, through the children, you've heard clearly about Christ's love for you. His desire to come into your life, to forgive you of your sins, to lead you, to guide you, to use you, uh, to comfort you, to encourage you. And that's all been made possible through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When he was laid on the cross, your sins were laid on him. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And so today, you have the opportunity to know your sins being forgiven as you would put your trust and confidence in Jesus Christ, as you would make your heart His home, inviting Him in to forgive you of your sins and take control of your life. And so if you've never made that decision, I would just encourage you in the sincerity of your heart, to pray this prayer after me right now. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me so much that you died for me. That you died for the penalty of my sin. Thank you that you rose again from the dead to offer me forgiveness, to offer me new life. And right now, I place my trust in you. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart to forgive me of my sin and to take control of my life. Lead me, guide me, use me to let others know about Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I would just ask you once we uh, conclude today that you see me and just let me know that you prayed that prayer. I'd love, love to talk to you more about that decision and how you can continue to grow in Jesus. Uh, Kathy, would you go out to the front with your workers? Parents just need to grab them when we conclude, right? Or it could be bedlam up here so uh, parents you help us out uh, but Kathy well girls why don't you go with her uh, Mary and and again thank you children for, again for the wonderful job leaders uh, for your investment uh, in in their lives I'm going to call on uh, Dr. Adams to uh, give us our uh, benediction also let me mention I, I failed to mention this uh, when I was talking about Tim uh, I, I would hope you would understand this. Between now and the time Tim goes to the church in Tennessee, we'll be paying him his full salary. Again, just out of compassion for the family to minister to their needs during this very, very difficult time. So uh, they'll have our full support during that period. Dr. Adams? 
one concluding announcement before we dismiss. Uh, next Sunday at 5 o'clock is the annual fish fry. We'll supply the fish, the hush puppies, the coleslaw, and cheese grits. If you ladies want to bring anything else, you're invited and welcome to do so. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this wonderful service. I thank you for the presentation of the gospel here, and I thank you for the fact that we do have the gospel, that you've come to save a people, Lord, that you've died on a cross to buy us back, and you've given us eternal life in Christ Jesus. Praise your name, and go with us as we leave this place. Make us a light for you. In Christ's name, amen.